Hello and welcome to Still Buffering, a cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I am Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. Uh, well, we're really, we're really getting close to the spookiest time of the year. The veil is thinning. Are you all excited? I am. Always. I have, um, I will be attending two trunk retreats this Friday. Uh, and I will be attending a candy drop where they take a big crane full of candy and drop it on children. Or maybe they just drop it in the park and then the children run to it. That's, That's what I'm hoping. Yes. The, the children are not allowed under the crane. Okay. Yeah, I don't think they drop yeah. it on the children. It kind of no, swings around yeah. and sprays candy out. It's like a drop and then a free-for-all. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So much candy. Um, I'm going to Lolloween. Which is the Halloween party hosted by the law school. Law, okay. Not law. Halloween. Law. Uh, and then I'm going on a bar crawl. Wow. Well. Halloween bar crawl. I've got two costumes making up for the past four years of not wearing a costume. Are you going to change halfway through the evening? Are you going to do like a costume change? No. I'm going two things. So I've got oh. ones on the Halloween is I should have clarified. They're on two different days. Oh, okay. One's on a Friday night, and the other's a Saturday day into the evening bar crawl. That's exciting. So, um, I, I've uh, got a do revenge costume. Oh, that's cool. Look like my hawk, except in a preppy school uniform. I just have my uh, my Blackbeard costume that Tay made me. <laughs> Which is a sick costume. I know. I, I wore it to Spooky Pride, and I got tons of compliments. Are you going to get to wear it again? Yes, we are. Well, there's trick or treating. I don't. I won't wear it to school trunk or treat. There's just too much to explain to elementary school kids there. Yeah, there's also a lot of weapons um, involved. That's what yeah. I was gonna say. Probably more so the weapons. So I won't for trunk or treat, but for trick or treat when we actually like go door to door. But then I think we're gonna have some people over Saturday night. A small, a small intimate gathering of friends with costuming. Mm. That's is nice. that what it is like on the invitation? You're invited to a small <laughs> intimate gathering of friends with costuming. No, we're not fancy enough. We send out a text that says, come to our house. <laughs> that works. Justin will bake. <laughs> Sydney will be in costume. <laughs> nice. uh, I have to tell you all, Cooper came home from school today and she told us this incredibly long story about getting bullied. And she told us about this boy on the playground and like what he was wearing and what he looked like and like very detailed, like what his shoes looked like, everything. And I said, what what did he say to you? This was what we got first was this huge description of the child that bullied her with no name. And I said, OK, what did he say to you? And she said, well, he called me a turd. <laughs> and I said, he called you a turd? And she said, yep. He called me a turd. And I thought, this didn't happen. There's no way this four-year-old called another four-year-old a turd. I just don't see how it's possible. I think but, your four-year-old would call someone a turd. Yeah, why does that seem impossible? It just seemed like not poop. So I kept asking. Wait, are, are, you, are you implying there is a scale of sophistication in words one might use for for poop so there's yes. poop and then there's turd oh no turd. that's far too educated for a four-year-old mm. turd. yeah i i just can't what? see a four-year-old <laughs> so 
So anyway, he I didn't I said, call her like you defecation. He called her a turd. I mean, there well, is a good chance she only knows that word from our dad. I think he's the only person I I still know that uses that word. <laughs> there there are several um, songs and rhymes that they know from our father. That I mean, perhaps I wish they didn't, but there we are. Um, <laughs> remember the diarrhea song? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they both know that one really well. That one's got turd in it. Mm-hmm. Well, it does. It does. Well, um, maybe this kid also has a grandfather that knows the diarrhea song. <laughs> so I said, I said, did it hurt your feelings? Yes. Did you cry or like what happened? She said nothing. I cried, but nothing happened. And I said, did the teacher notice you were crying? Did you talk to the teacher? Like, no, I was by myself. Okay, well, this is starting to sound less credible. That she was completely alone. I know how that playground looks. And that anyway, so I said, well, do you want me to talk to your teacher and find out like what's because she has said the same kid has bullied her many times. And she's like, no, I can handle it, mommy. And then she's quiet. And then she goes, I got you. No one called me a turd. (laughs) Totally made it up. She's really good at that. Made up the entire story for no reason. I didn't say like, well, honey, were you bullied today? Like, I just said, so tell me about your day. What happened? Did you have a good day? And and she comes out with this entire tale of the turd bully. That was bully. She's a kid. She's just learning emotional interactions. She wanted some some role playing to understand it. That's fine. She really knows how to to tell a story. I asked her what she had for lunch the other day at school because, I mean, you have one kid that always brings the lunch and one that always will just eat anything they have at school. Charlie, by the way, brings chicken noodle soup every day. So that's Charlie. (laughs) That's that's everything you need to know about Charlie. She brings chicken noodle soup every day in her lunch. (laughs) For Charlie's soul. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Charlie. And then you've got Cooper who just shows up and eats whatever school has every day. Um... So I asked her when I was home, like, hey, what'd you have for lunch today? She said, I had a breadstick and a donut and corn. (laughs) And that was the end of the sentence. I said, okay, no, I know you had more than that. There's no way your school gave you a breadstick, a donut, and corn. (laughs) And she said, well, there was something with the breadstick, but you don't want to know what it was. (laughs) I said... What was it? What they put with your breadstick? She said, mayo. <laughs> There's no said, way there was mayo with the breadstick. That's right. I said, Cooper, that doesn't sound right. You had to have had something else. Was there like, you know, a sandwich? Was there a hot dog? Like I was trying to get like there had to have been some main main course here. There was not just a breadstick, a donut and a piece of corn. And she said, well, I did actually have two donuts and they were the kind with the cinnamon cream. They were Cinnabites. <laughs> and eventually I, I she said, know. it was like 10 minutes later, out of nowhere, she goes, Charlie, you would have loved what I had for lunch today. I had chicken nuggets. <laughs> I was like, okay, there it is. That's what you really had for lunch today. <laughs> I, you never know. So they, at the beginning of the school year, they kept forgetting to like mail out, email out the lunch menu. And like Cooper was just willing to roll with it. She was like, I'll try whatever. Like, yeah, don't send my lunch. I'll eat whatever it is. But then I never knew what she was eating because she'd come home and I'd be like, what did you eat today? And for like three days in a row, she was like a beef sandwich. And I'm like, There's, <laughs> that's not you're not getting a beef. Sa-. Like I could not figure it out. And so finally they started sending lunch menus home 
And it's fun. I don't tell her I know. I ask her, what did they give you for lunch? And I know because I have the menu. And it's, I mean, there's a loose association with what the truth is. It's like there's a, there's sometimes she'll hit something. Like, you know, there was, like, if there's a vegetable, she gets really excited. If there are peppers. I think the problem is mostly that I think to her all meat is beef. Yes. So anything that's not a chicken nugget is, is beef. beef. Which, I mean, fair for school lunches, I think. It's all kind of the same. But Charlie's beef sandwiches like, uh, are go-to. Charlie's like, I'll just take my chicken noodle soup again, please, with some oyster crackers. And I you opened can up- keep... You can keep sending those sugar snap peas, Mom, but I'm never going to eat them. I opened up her lunchbox to try to steal steal something out of it after school. Like, oh, I wonder if she has any, like, I don't know, some sort of treat left over in here she didn't eat. And it was just one bag of sugar snap peas. Mm-hmm. And I okay. said, can I eat these? And she said, go ahead. Mom knows I'm not going to. <laughs> it's the only vegetable she tells me she'll eat raw. And so I send it every day in our lunch and beg her. just. And I send, like, three. I'm like not I'm I'm not going I have no lofty goals here. Just like eat a vegetable. <sighs> anyway. Anyways, sorry if you hear noises by the way. My guinea pigs now live right next to my desk um instead of in my bedroom. And they don't understand the importance of a podcast recording. So Well, you you have guinea pigs. I have a creepy doll behind me. Yeah, you me. do. I see and that peeking speaking, over your shoulder. Speaking of a creepy doll. Mm. Look at that. Do you like that? Uh, Taylor, that's your cue. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, this is my week. Uh, and uh, I chose the movie May, which is a 2002 horror movie. Uh, so I think it's a pretty unique one. It's Yes. It's, I, I love it. It's weird. It's disturbing. Um, it's a little sad, but it's one of my favorites. And there is a creepy doll. There is that a creepy doll. That, that was that yes. tie-in. Uh, yes. Not, uh, not Annabelle. I know that sounded like Annabelle is where we're going there. No, no, no. This is a far superior creepy doll movie. Don't let Annabelle know that I said that. Um, but uh, May is the story of, uh, of, of May, who's a, a young girl who was sort of ostracized from a young age. Uh, because, she, I mean, just the simple fact that she had a lazy eye and uh, just sort of... I don't, Grew up a little, you know, lonely without friends. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, she has a doll that was given to her by her uh, seemingly very controlling mother, and this was her only friend. And then, as a young adult, as she navigates life, she uh, her, her one goal is just to to find somebody to care about her and to care about. And uh, this is a horror movie, so that that has monstrous results. That's uh, uh, the tagline is: if you can't find a friend, make one. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, Tay. This. So I enjoyed this movie. It was, um, not just like the ending, which of course we are going to spoil. Yes. Which is, I mean, disturbing. Yeah. Like intentionally. That's the goal. Um. I felt like it was like often a psychological sort of thriller. Yeah. D- despite the fact that like you get into sort of the traditional blood and gore and body horror by the very ending there like her her um the the actress i don't know who plays may but uh, the the stuff that she's doing to be sort of um a little bit outside of reality just a little bit removed and i don't know it, it's very uh it's very good and it's very disturbing 
Angela Bettis is the lead actress, and she's very good. Yeah, she she was quoted as saying she felt like she was made for this role, which I I agree. I mean, if she hadn't been in other things, I would say like this is this was this is an autobiographical film. I recognized her and I couldn't put my finger on it, and I it was just one of those people. I was sitting there like I know I've seen you in something, and it was from The Crucible. Oh, the one from the two thousand, like the same time two thousand one. Them too. Mm. I don't know the one with Liam Neeson in it. I had to watch it for school at one point, um, and that's uh, that's what I recognized her from. So obviously she's got a a type of movie. I don't know how I had never heard of this movie before. I'm not yeah, like a horror movie expert, but I do feel like I've dug pretty deep into like trying to find some of the best ones from like past years over the Halloween's where I spend months watching scary movies, and I don't know how I just had never heard of this. Oh, well, I mean it's it. It got good reviews. Like it's it it was a well reviewed film, but I think it also it gets into that vein of which I, these are usually where my favorite horror movies lie, where it's saying something about society that's still based on the time when it came out, and I'd say even still today makes us uncomfortable because we're not willing to recognize it. Because the beauty of May to me is that is the it is uh it's a revenge film. But not on any of the characters that actually murdered in the movie. Some of them are kind of jerks, but they're not really bad people. You know, that nobody right. really deserves the fate they get. I feel like it's a revenge film on the audience on how we treat women, on how we they are raised to be objects. They're raised to be small, to be quiet. It's a bit of an inversion of the manic pixie dream girl, mm-hmm. quirky, weird girl that's different. And like, what is it like to actually be that girl? What is it? You know, it's it's a lot of sort of ideas about what womanhood should be and what femininity should be kind of turned on its head and like what is the monster that is the the feminine monster the objectified endpoint of what a woman would become and that's may she sees people as parts she sees people as objects because that's the only way she's been allowed to view herself you know from a young age mm. she was a perfectly normal kid you know she had a, a physical difference about her that in no way affected her and yet she was ostracized just for that and her parents reinforced that mm-hmm. as a reason a thing she should be ashamed of so she grew up seeing people as parts as just you know a person is just the sum of the parts they have and if your parts are bad that means you're bad i it, I, I love that and i don't think a lot i think yeah. that's a, it's an uncomfortable thing though because it's calling out society in a way that i don't we're still not we're, we still haven't improved on Sure. No, I know what you're saying. And it, I I do think some of that's reflected in the fact that, like, um, there are scenes, especially, in the, of course, in the very beginning, um, where she is, like, the way that she's styled is sort of like the traditional, like, the quiet girl or the nerdy girl or the girl who, like, is, she's a little disheveled, you know, mm-hmm. she's not what and then, like, there are scenes where she swings from that to like incredibly seductive and dressed very like, you know, kind of sexy and makeup and revealing. And like, you know, you see that sort of echoed in the way her character is styled on and off. And she goes back and forth. She doesn't like, it's not like a makeover transformation that sticks, you know, like Mm in, in a lot of like the, Oh, the nerdy girl gets pretty. You know what I mean? It because she, she reverts back to sort of like the original kind of quiet nerdy girl sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is do you think part of the reason maybe it it 
because I agree with you saying like we don't like recognizing that we think that about women and we still don't definitely not in 2002 um is part of it because it's also queer do you think because like it's not you know it's not I don't know was that like a thing that was allowed to be popular in 2002 well you know that's the and i remember seeing this movie closer to when it came out and then i was re-watching it i'd f- kind of forgotten that there is a queer narrative in this until mm-hmm. i was re-watching it and it's the one part about this movie that makes me i mean there's actually this i was gonna say it makes me sad there's lots about this movie that makes me sad but i think the thing that makes me the saddest is so it's got anna faris as this uh so may works at a as, as a veterinary assistant and she works at an office with anna faris who is a lesbian who has made it pretty clear that she's attracted to May, and they have they, they hook up, but Anna Faris is sort of, you know, not committed, but she's very harmless. Like, I feel like actually understood May, like, saw May for what she was, and was willing to be okay with that. Yeah. And, and that, that, you know, I, May ends up the, the, the uh, sort of, you know, arc of the movie is she ultimately decides to just collect parts from people to create a perfect friend and one of those parts belongs to Anna Faris so Anna Faris is murdered uh but that part made me really sad because I think it was kind of almost played for a laugh like a queer relationship couldn't be taken seriously Mm -hmm. so it's just like this other devious thing that her desire drives her to for perfect parts but really it's actually a the one healthy relationship presented in the film yeah right well, because I had a moment where I was like, oh, is this a bi main female character? Like almost like a little bit of a Jennifer's mm-hmm. body moment. Mm-hmm. But like Jennifer's body, it was so like not, you know, definite. It was hinted at very heavily, but it was never said. And this I was like, oh, this is this is it except that. And then I kind of felt the same way. It kind of felt like it was just like, you know, played out for another like volatile storyline of hers, I guess. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that comparison because I feel the same way about May as I do about Jennifer's body in that there is a parallel universe where the ends are gay and happy. You know, just as much there's a parallel Jennifer's body where Needy and Jennifer, like Jennifer's a demon, Needy helps her feed her hunger for boys and they're in love. And that's just how it ends. And there's a <laughs> parallel universe for this where Polly's like, oh, May, you brought a body part home again. no. We're beautiful as our whole selves, not as our parts. And May's like, okay, I'm sorry. And then they do a weird dance and they're happy forever. Oh, they hang out like the, that. They hang out with the kids from Let the Right One In. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, I want one demonic lesbian horror movie to end in a happy functional relationship. I, I mm-hmm. should not watch horror movies for that, but why not? No, I did think. One. Yeah, no, but I did think that was interesting because it is. What did we say? 2002? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was like, I mean, to just see a character, especially, I don't know if 2002 was early Anna Ferris before she was like super famous. Maybe so. I don't know. Probably, right? I mean, I feel, I mean, I feel like she was still in things. She was she was well known at that point. I, I'm sure she was. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when, like, I don't know. I've always been aware of Anna Ferris. I don't know when she became super famous. Um, But, uh. I, I I feel like that's a big thing for 2002 to have like those sort of scenes and that sort of theme. And like, I, I mean, it is that would have been a big deal in 2002 yeah. to include that in the movie. It's a shame that it ends the way that often queer relationships did in movies back then. Yeah. Um, but and that it's 
I mean, I think that Anna Ferris, it's like it's very harmless the fact that she's with another woman when May shows up. It's not I don't know. I, I feel like that that's it's unfortunate that like that was the way they played it with her. The other guy, like Adam, it felt like, well, May was kind of I mean, she bit him. Well, and that's a that, you know, yeah, like, like, he, he's just it, like they give him like a little more justification and they kind of play off Anna Ferris's character like, well, she just sort of sleeps around. And I, I don't know. know. It's unfortunate because at the time, like any queer representation was all, rep- you know, like that's all oh, that's everybody because there was so little. Mm-hmm. I'm not blaming Adam, but he did show her a movie about <laughs> eating yeah. people. So like, what was that? She that had to have message. thought for a moment like, oh, is this your OK? But that's let's, what- I'll I'll do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he kind of set it, set it up that way. Well, I mean, that's what I, I think one of the elements that I love so much about this movie is the way that the Adam is not just a guy. He's this guy that's, oh, he's so creepy. He's got this creepy bedroom with creepy artwork and he makes creepy art films. And, oh, he's so intense. And then he is just terrified, horrified of May. Like, yeah. it is that sort of that, you know... That fantasy of like, oh, the manic pixie dream girl comes along and she's weird just like you and she gets you. But she's 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 real. She's actually scary. And you just have sort of uh, attached scariness to you to make you seem mysterious and cool. And I I, I love that that is I feel like that's a very self-aware character like to put in the movie. Yes. I, I think even before mm-hmm. really the whole break breaking point of manic pixie dream girl had taken place. Well, and and I think it's also good to comment on the the idea of like sort of that kind of putting on this um like the clothing of trauma around you like I'm so dark and twisted and like look at my art because I'm so like everything's so bad when you have May a character who has actually suffered who has actually been ostracized who has actually suffered trauma <laughs> who like it's not um a show She's not putting on a show for you. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. It, th- this is not an act. This isn't for cred. This isn't to look cool and mysterious and dreamy, which is very much the vibe I get from the guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, again, like he doesn't do anything so heinous. He he rejects her, but she sure. she bit him. You know, he was he was frightened <laughs> by her. And I mean, maybe for fair reasons. <laughs> she bit him. <laughs> she she bit him a couple it times. It was a nibble. Uh, maybe the first one was a nibble. A the nibble. second one, there was a lot of blood. <laughs> I, and I don't think so. OK, I, I saw that. And here's my thought. I don't think it was the bite so much. I think if she had bitten him and then it had been followed with a, oh, holy crap, I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I just got way into it. And I'm so sorry. I think there was a way to to sort of like save that moment. I think it was the kind of like, like. <laughs> seductively smearing the blood down her neck (laughs) yeah like it was kind of the the obvious like oh she's enjoying rubbing my blood on her moment that was sort of like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh but you know what this this is exactly what you were saying though tay like he shows this weird creepy movie right that's like his whole personality of like oh look how dark and mysterious and like you've got like these i mean it's cannibalism is people eating each other and so she's like, oh, this is, you like, you like this. This is, these is the, these are the kind of things you like. Let me do these things. You'll like these things. And she's into them because she actually has this like darker personality that 
he wants to look like he has but then he sees it real life and he's like oh wait a minute hold on oh no (laughs) which i do kind of like because i like that that trope in movies where it's like if it's a guy who's like trying to be super like jockey or you know fratty or like mysterious and weird but then it's all like you know they can actually can actually hang and that is that is an interesting contrast when you consider the scene where she cuts her finger in front of Anna Ferris and then cuts Anna Ferris's finger and like she's like all right okay i like this like it, there is there is a contrast there like this is someone who gets me this is a relationship that is more honest this is somewhere where i can be more comfortable but I do think you have to imagine that in 2002, there were people involved with it going like, don't go too far with that narrative, you know, just because there always were at that time. Well, that's what I think. It, like, I think that the entire queer storyline was meant to be somewhat menacing in a in a way, you know, like you couldn't look at it in the guise of like, what's the healthier relationship? Because it just did. Mm-hmm. How is that even an option? Like. And I mean, you know, Anna, Anna Ferris plays it very seductive, but not, yeah, not in any way like insidious. Just she's very flirtatious. Mm-hmm. She's very seductive. So it's like, oh, May is willing to risk a dangerous gay relationship just to find a friend. <laughs> look at look at how depraved she is. Like, no, this relationship seems pretty healthy. You're into some weird stuff, but hey, so is she. Cool, works yeah. out. <laughs> well, and maybe this is just me saying this from like my personal by perspective but it feels like a lot of times in movies we've talked about from you know early 2000s or even like the 90s it was almost more of a thing for a girl in a movie to be bi than it was for there to be a lesbian character mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it, mm-hmm. like even in like jennifer's body where it's like we don't want to say that needy or jennifer we don't want to say either of them are attracted to both men and women because it's almost like well that's not can't say that you know what I mean? Like it feels like they, it would rather it would be easier for people at that time to accept a main character that was a lesbian. <laughs> Maybe know. not. Maybe I, that's just my perspective on like looking back at things. But it, it it does often feel like times where we've talked about characters that were in relationships well, with men and women, I, there I was think, less of a positive treatment. Sure. That no, I, I think. That's and again, we're talking true. about a horror movie, so like, there's not going to be like a you know positive treatment maybe at all but i just i think it was i think there was a lot more of this idea that like somebody who was by was on a road in one direction or the other yeah i I feel like that was very much like the the take on it and so like the idea is you're going to end one place or the other and that's what you are period and that will define you forever um and then and once you end on one place or the other, it will also define like the way we portray you in media, because like if you end up on the straight end of the spectrum, then and you're a woman, then you're going to look like a feminine woman who's with a dude and it's all very, you know, rom-com or whatever. Whereas if we're going to take you in the lesbian direction, we're going to style you differently and we're going to change you. And we're, you know, like I feel like back then it was also stereotypical there wasn't a lot of like if you're somewhere in the middle we didn't know what to do with you what does that mean like what would you look like what would you wear what would you yeah. say we have guess, no we have no concept of this so we'll just shove you one way or the other eventually yeah yeah you're saying what i was thinking much better than i was saying it i guess that's more so what i've recognized more of like 
an inability to accept that there are more than two, you know, extremes when it comes to identities. Well, and I don't. Yeah, I think that the this movie is is aware of the stigma at the time against queer relationships. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. it. I don't think it's trying to demonize that. I, I feel like it's purposely oh, yeah. showing because I think that goes back to like this idea is may being a, a sort of monster of womanhood that society has created. Like, what does that look like? The fact that she has one relationship and it actually seems healthy and, and you know, like the moment where Anna Faris's character says, oh, if you want her to leave, I'll, I'll kick her out. Like, it's clear that she is prioritizing May's feelings. That is, mm-hmm. there's plenty of signs that that is a normal, healthy relationship. And then this other one, which is, it's just not as good, but the one that May prioritizes and cares about and fantasizes about is the the traditional heterosexual relationship mm-hmm. and i mean if you want you know like because a woman can only be an object you need a a man and i, I think that mm-hmm. that is i think that and i say this too because the same director made all cheerleaders die and that is a, it actually is a horror movie where you get a kind of good end to a queer narrative that's very uh very satisfying. So I, 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 I think he knew the kind of land he was playing in. I just think May. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, discredit this film. I don't think it's trying to make a homophobic narrative. I think it's oh, trying yeah. to point out no. that someone that's been indoctrinated in society the way May is sort of presented wouldn't even know how to value a queer relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. No. I think that. I think that horror movies actually usually do a lot better job than some movies that are just trying to be social commentary in a way at pointing out things like that and i think that you're definitely right this is one of those like the queer relationship was there to look at how we view those and did in that society just like we did with women yeah so so the director did two different movies with sort of a queer a queer narrative in them uh all have you seen all cheerleaders die I haven't. Um, it's I, I, so I know I've seen there's a there's the original one and then there's a remake, but I, I feel like the the director had a hand in both of them. But yes, there's a. It's actually kind of I don't know the timeline for that because I would feel like it'd be a response to Jennifer's body, but maybe it, I think the original one came out before. Uh, but it is there's sort of a possessed cheerleader character and a a witchy girlfriend who helped bring her back to life, and they mm. they 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 navigate their struggles together uh it's it's a good movie so you know that's interesting is that it it feels like if you're gonna make a couple different movies like that that there are voices from like from the community in there somewhere well you know i i saw (laughs) i saw like a, a think piece about like you know why why do horror movies need to have agendas now especially queer agendas and it's so weird to me because like horror is queer you you know that right like most most horror is is queer that's it all a lot of it comes back to that <laughs> well and also like when did horror movies not have an agenda well i mean they all exactly like, like it is, they, they, they're all story they're all either morality stories or commentary or like it is rare to find a horror movie that's just like i don't know we chop some people up whatever like and the, i'm not saying they don't exist but they're usually bad and we're not particularly interested in them the ones we're interested yeah. in interact with us usually in ways that we're not comfortable being completely out in the light with. So we need things that kind of keep those feelings in the dark or mask them in metaphors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, May is a bit of a Frankenstein story. And that's one of yeah. one of my favorite narratives. And I, that was kind of along the same line, that same sort of 
think piece about, you know, horror movies don't have to be woke. These kids think that f- Dr. Frankenstein was the bad guy in Frankenstein. It's like, he was. Wait. He was the bad <laughs> he guy. Was. <laughs> he was. He was the bad sure, guy. I'm pretty sure that's why it's called Frank Frankenstein. Like, like, he made the monster, but he also, he made the monster not just with his hands, but he made it by neglecting it and not loving the monster. Yeah. In the same way he that- He is the bad guy. Yeah. He's the monster. May, May is the monster. She also then makes- a monster, but she is the thing that mm-hmm. society made that is now coming back. The society made and did not love, and she's now coming back to wreak havoc mm-hmm. on society. That is, it's the Frankenstein story. I don't. How <laughs> you get that wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say, how do you miss that? <laughs> because Frankenstein, the Doctor Frankenstein in the book, he's like an affluent, like rich guy that has friends and and is well to do, and the monster's a big scary thing. So it must be the bad guy. Okay, okay. If you're doing a reading of Frankenstein, where your interpretation is that is more like a spookily the square pumpkin sort of take on Frankenstein, like those mean old villagers just hated him because he looked different and they couldn't accept somebody who looked different from them. Isn't that terrible? Like, is that really the that's what you got? Wait, that no, Sid, that's that is. That, that is no but like that but that's not the whole thing the whole thing isn't just like the villagers are the bad guys because it like t- it completely leaves out the fact that like there was dr frankenstein who made frankenstein oh, well, yes. who made the monster who made all of like he set it all in motion yeah so are you asking who made spookily the square pumpkin that's and set that's all those events in motion who's really to well, no, i don't that's really who's yes that's really that's who's to blame. Not well, the other pumpkins in the patch. No, I know the villagers are bad for wanting to set Frankenstein on fire. I get that. I'm just saying, like, it's more than that. It's more than just a story of, like, love those who are different. Well, it, well I mean, it is. But, I mean, it's also, I, I don't know. I mean, you get into, like, if we're talking movies versus book, there's different vibes. And then you get to the second movie where it's it, there's a whole gay narrative there. that's You can't dispute it. It was absolutely present. And it seems to be about like the fear of gay love and what will propagate from gay love and the, something monstrous only. Like, I don't know. Oh, horror's queer. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, horror's a space for marginalized communities to share the horrors that they have to live through in a way that people not in those communities can like consume and not be offended by because it can, you know, go over their heads yeah. and they don't think it's like, you know, mm-hmm. in their face about it. But I mean, that's like, that's what the genre has always been now now willie's wonderland felt very straight to me i will say uh until you watched it i i love that movie (laughs) i did i did love that movie that is a horror movie that i don't think has an agenda can i just put that out there i don't know what it would be maybe it's there it's a great movie don't think it has an agenda i I think there's something that you could argue about like like abused workers uh and you know the sort of yeah you could get there i mean you could get there there's there's some capitalism at play at willie's wonderland i would say it's a it's a great movie it is a good movie i mean you know like i don't like it's what's the the idea that like uh this scary monster is scary because it, it might hurt you like that's that's a a scary thought trying to like run a whole book or a movie off of that thought isn't so scary but like I've yeah. made a metaphorical representations about the things in yourself that you're not willing to confront. I think that's going to 
that's gonna go a little deeper. I, I absolutely. I was thinking like with May and some of these other movies that I think fall into the same category of like the horror of of femininity. And I don't think I have a a better perspective. I think I just have a different one. Being like the the horror of possessing a feminine body has always been very relevant in my life. So these movies always spoke to me in a specific way because it's kind of drawing a light to that. But like Carrie, I feel very much is the same kind of a vibe, you know? Yeah, like, I can see that. Like there's just this horrible ritual that happens to you when you grow into a, a, a woman's body, whether you're one or not, <laughs> that you just have mm-hmm. to put up with. Now you're an object, you're a thing, and that's how you're going yeah. to be viewed. And that's... Well, in a in a very small way, it's like that um, good for her film genre where it's like all these women that have been put in bad situations because of how society treats women Mm -hmm. so then they just kind of like you know go murder everyone yeah or like you know like gone girl is a pretty typical example of like a good for her yeah like that's you know kind of just in a very like small way kind of fits in there Mm -hmm. like good good for may (laughs) well i mean i didn't know like i think that's why it's a powerful movie is that i didn't feel I didn't feel she was a bad person at the end of the movie. I still no. felt deeply sympathetic for her. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because you put her up against cartoonish representations of the evils of man. Again, nobody was all that bad to her, you know? Like, the dude was disrespectful, but he he didn't do anything awful. His girlfriend was no. kind of crappy. But even she was, she tried to, like, be nice to May a little bit. Like, it's just, you just wanted to see her win. And I mean, I know for me, it's because there's a part of me that related to the character. Like, you know, mm-hmm. she, you, you've made her this, Let she's found a way to live with it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I can understand that. No, I definitely felt that way. It felt, it felt a lot more like when she finally, which I guess we haven't really clarified what she does at the end. She um, m- murders uh, basically everybody else we've mentioned in the movie. <laughs> and then some. Like a, like a handful of people. <laughs> yeah. And takes a uh, a body part from each one to assemble into a new friend to replace the doll that got broken. Oh, my gosh. We didn't even get into that scene when the doll breaks and there are people in the broken glass and I can't even. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, but that. But yes, that. that so she she re reforms them into very much like a Frankenstein's monster, you know, and then doesn't just use their body parts also uses her own. Yes. Right. Yeah, her eye removes her own eye. Oh, oh, which is a moment. (laughs) Yes, which which is also how she ends her life there. The I'm assuming she's dead there at the end. I don't know if she is. Yeah, I didn't assume that she was. Or did she just pass out in shock? Because she had pulled her eye out. I mean, I don't. You're the doctor. Would would pulling one's eye out? I don't think that's enough blood loss to kill you. Oh, would that kill you? No, not nece- not necessarily, and not that I fast. I assume she was like, you know, like huh. I don't know the way she just sort of collapsed on the friend. <laughs> I think friend. I mean, she says before the friend comes to life because her goal is she thinks she's going to uh, sew all these body parts together and it's going to come to life and be her friend. And she says, "It's a you know, you don't need to speak because I'll know you're there." And mm-hmm. she has that moment where she's sort of yeah, she's screaming in pain and then she calms down. And then the thing's hand comes up and caresses her. So I think they were communicating. I think that's mm-hmm. why she calmed down. I think okay. she knew that her friend, Amy, 
Which I guess it's still, hey, it still ends with a queer narrative, right? Because the, yeah. the monster she makes, she names it Amy. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a go. <laughs> no, I, I think it, as opposed to like, this is like a, an evil person who kills people. It came across more as like a hurt people, hurt people kind of narrative. You mm-hmm. know, that was, which is like still sad, but not, it's different. She is not evil. She's not malicious. She is acting in a way that is the result of everything that's come before this moment. Yeah. That's a little bit Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> Very dark take <laughs> on Edward Scissorhands. Basically the same. I was going to say, yeah, just like Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> like, you know how at the end he starts chopping people up into pieces and then Sewing makes them, them into topiaries? Yeah. He has the ability. <laughs> could. Good. No, I mean, he could. He could. There is a universe in which that happened. I mean, I think that when you when you root for the bad guy, I don't think it's because you're at heart a bad guy. I think it's because you relate to the bad guy. And I think that there's something really relatable about Maze. She wants companionship, but everything she's been taught in her life has has broken her ability to seek it in a healthy way. So, well, sorry, you, you know, yeah. that's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. I, I mean, I, I did. I enjoyed it. Um, I think it was really well done. I think it was very interesting. It was very thought-provoking in a way that, I mean, even uh, we've talked a lot about most horror movies have a message or saying something, um, but even more so. Um, and then, of course, it gets all the gory stuff, too, which and is I nice. did not know where we were going at any point. Yeah, it, it definitely, I, I, it's, I think it's it's interesting that so much of the movie is not, I mean, it's it's scary because of the tension, but the violence all kind of comes at once. Mm-hmm. It does. I wasn't sure. I had I had started to suspect um, when we saw Ambrosia's legs, just sort of like disembodied <laughs> legs yeah. dancing around. I had this moment where I was like, "Wait a second, we've looked at hands, we're looking at legs. Wait a second. <laughs> I had a I had an inkling. I didn't. I didn't have a moment until I was like, "Oh, oh, oh wait, hold on. <laughs> oh, I see what we've done now." <laughs> she seems ready to snap the whole movie. I mean, like you feel yeah. that. Well, I, so. I I do think a huge part of the movie just relies on the the lead actress's performance. Like, yes. Yeah. I, I think many For people sure. could play that role and not pull it off the way she does. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, thank you, Taylor. I I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you... I never have heard of it. I wouldn't have watched it if you hadn't brought it up. So thank you. Thank thank you for for giving it a watch. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. I I love this movie. Um, I I will... I think it's it's good to say if you do... If nothing else has dissuaded you, dismemberment and death, uh, an animal does die. Yes, that's true. Sometimes that's a deal breaker and that's totally fine. There is a cat that unfortunately perishes. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice it's the yeah. the cat hair is the hair on the on Amy? I did I notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for I, when she got the cat out of the freezer. I knew like okay, well the cat's going to be incorporated into whatever's happening here. Yeah. I didn't even think about oh, that. The cat's part of her friend. <laughs> oh, the cat was her friend. Well, now they're all her yeah. friends. There you yeah. go. Uh, Riley. <laughs> yeah. I already know what the answer to this is. So what's next? You know what's next. I know what's next. Do you next. know how long it's been since I've gotten to make you all listen to a whole Taylor Swift album? It's been a whole year. I was going to say, it doesn't feel that long. It's been a year. 
Has Red it? Taylor's version came out last November. It's been a full year. All right. So in case you aren't aware, Midnight's by Taylor Swift, her 10th studio album just came out last week. Um, so that's what you all are going to listen to. There is a 3 a.m. version of the album. That's what it's called. The 3 a.m. version that has seven extra songs. Um, there's a really good, basically, diss track by a, to John Mayer in there in those seven extra songs if you want to check that one out so there you go basically two albums but kind of one so yeah and uh so we'll check that out for next week and if you want to watch may where did was it on amazon i watched it on shutter oh was Mm. it on shutter is that where it was (laughs) i think Shutter has the way they've organized their horror movies. They have an entire category that's just like unhinged women, and there's so many good movies in that category. Oh, I want to. I need to check well, there, that well, category. There you go. Check out unhinged women category on Shutter. Uh, I love Shutter in general, but that yeah. yeah. I need to look at that. Love it. All right. Well, thank you both. Thank you, listeners. Um, you should go to maximumfun.org and check out all the great shows that you would enjoy. You can tweet at us at stillbuff. You can email us at stillbuffering at maximumfun.org. And thank you to the novellas for our theme song, Baby Change Your Mind. This has been your cross-generational guide to the culture that made us. I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. I am still buffering. And I am too. too. Mind ending up in some sort of list that was titled Unhinged Women. I don't know. <laughs> you okay with that? Again? I'm not sure. Sid, you're on uh, that list somewhere. Hey. <laughs> fair. It's fair. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother and Me. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.